BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Welcome to Raising Good Humans. I'm Dr. Lisa Pressman, and today's episode is just us together. It's the bonus episode where I answer listener questions and talk about topics that have come up. So today's topics are sleep and interrupting. So I'm answering listener questions about sleep challenges and teaching kids how and when to interrupt and when to keep a little quiet and get some patience. So I pulled some listener questions about sleep because we have a sleep episode and I thought we could continue the conversation. The first listener question is, my three girls share a room together. Bedtime is a nightmare because the silent return of my two-year-old keeps the other two awake for hours. And now my older ones are crying for me too when they never noticed before. Do I go back to sitting in their room until they fall asleep every night? It was going to be up to one hour or do I just muscle through the crying? So this is always hard when you have multiple kids sharing a room. And one thing I would say is for temporarily only if it's possible, you could have the two-year-old in a pack and play or some portable sleep arrangement in a different room in the house, if possible, just until they get their sleep corrected and then they can go back and join everybody. Now that's not always possible for space purposes. And also it's not always possible because sometimes that causes more struggles and difficulty than before. So if you want to keep your two-year-old in the room with the other two children, then you might say, you have two choices. You can stay in the room quietly and I'll come and check on you and you'll say exactly when you're going to come check and you'll say, I'm going to check three times and these are going to be the intervals, but I'm coming when you're super quiet. And your other choice is that you can sleep in the hallway, the bathroom with the door open, you know, somewhere else that you can arrange until you're ready to be quiet so that your siblings can sleep. Now, the other option is, yes, you can totally muscle through everybody just kind of crying and realizing that you are still not coming in. So it's always a choice to say your good nights and your I love yous and your cuddles and your books and all of the things that you do before bed. And then say, I know that you might have trouble with this because it's hard, but you also can do hard things. And I can't wait to see you in the morning. 
And then if everybody's upset, they're upset, but they keep on staying in the room. So those are options. You can also offer to leave the door open or to leave the door closed and the door stays open if everybody can stay in their bed and stay quiet and it closes if that's too difficult. That way there are choices, you're collaborating, but you're making the boundary incredibly clear and you're not going to change no matter what. That's really hard to do, but it's an important message because sleep is so important for everybody's brain development and for everybody's behavior and everybody's mood, including your own. So you can, again, muscle through the sound of the distress but stand your ground, or if you want, you can separate them until they can all be together quietly. There are multiple options. The one thing that you just wanna commit to is that you are going to not engage after you've said goodnight. Now, just a side note, ideally kids stay in their crib until they're three, because it's really hard with two-year-olds to get them to stay in a bed and not keep coming in and out. So assuming in this particular case, it's too late. Your child is, it sounds like is in a bed, so not to worry. But for those of you who are listening, who are on the fence about switching from a crib to a bed, if you can put it off until three, that's great. Okay, here is another sleep question. My son who turns three tomorrow started sleeping in a toddler bed at the beginning of the year. He was previously sleeping in his crib. The first couple of nights in his new bed, he came to my room and fell back to sleep. And then we had a long stretch of time where he slept through the night in his bed and had a few instances where he would be playing with his stuffed animals and hanging out in his bed, but he never came out. And then we started having visits at 2 a.m. What can I do? The last few nights, he's also been waking up around 1030 and crying. I go soothe him quickly before he fully wakes up and then he'll close his eyes and go back to sleep. I also want to add that we just got back from a vacation on Saturday and that may have some impact on all of this, but it was going on before the trip too. Thank you so much. I love your podcast and I love that I can go to you for help. I usually go to DMs on Instagram, but this question needed a little more explanation. Okay. So here is a very common situation that so many people go through, which is just once you switch to the big kid bed, there are often a lot of visits in the middle of the night. So first thing is, yes, if you come back from a vacation, it's really important to go back to the routines and recognize that the change in what just happened and all of maybe the exceptions that meet over vacation are going to have an impact. But if you come back home and you're like, vacation is when we make exceptions. When we come back home, we have the exact routine. Eventually, five or six days later, kids really get that, in fact, you're not going to change. And this is exactly what's going to be happening. So when you switch from a crib to a big kid bed, and this is for other people who have not done a switch, less so answering this question, but just a little tip. Say to your child that when you get into your big kid bed, whatever you're going to call it, you stay there until your grown up comes to get you. And you say this and you practice it like during the day, you can say, okay, let's pretend it's morning. Here's what you do. And you give them the language if they need help, mommy, daddy, whomever, come get me. And 
then you go right away. And the reason to do that is specifically so that they don't visit you at weird times in the middle of the night. So they get into the habit of being able to say when they need you and you come to them because it's easier for you to leave their room than for them to leave your room. So once you've got yourself in a situation, again, a very common situation of having a little visitor, you want to, similar to the answer to the question before, you want to tell your child in the daytime when there isn't the big emotions of having to go to bed, you want to talk about how important it is to stay in your bed while your grown-up isn't in the room and your grown-up will come and get you. And if they're having trouble with that, that you can practice. So during the day you would practice and praise them for the behavior that they achieved, which was to stay in their bed until you came to get them. And then in the nighttime, you tell them, here's how it's going to go. You're going to go to bed. We're going to do our two books, our song, our cuddles, whatever it is that you do. And then I'm going to go in the other room and I'm going to brush my teeth and I'm going to put on my pajamas. I'm making this up, but you say whatever you're going to do. And I need you to be super, super quiet like a mouse. And I know it's going to be really hard, but when you're quiet like a mouse, I'm going to come back in after I got in my pajamas and I brushed my teeth and I'm going to give you one more snuggle and two kisses on your hand. Again, those are not prescriptive, say whatever you want, but just something super concrete and clear. And then your child knows what to expect and you have to make good on it. And they'll trust that you're going to do that. And you keep on reminding them that they have a choice. You're going to follow your promise, but if they come out of their room or they're making lots of noise or whatever it is that you're having trouble with, then you're not going to come in. That's their choice. So if you want, you need to promise yourself, like you're going to commit to something that you can actually stick with. So you don't want to set limits that you're not able to actually make good on. If you're going to start to feel bad and then change midway, I don't recommend it. But if you can set a limit that you feel comfortable with, like you're not going to go into the room unless they're staying in their bed for 10 minutes quietly, whatever it is, then just really stand your ground, be super consistent. What they're doing is testing you and they need to know that when you're tested, you believe so much in your sleep plan that you're not going to bend. And so eventually, usually it takes five to seven days of you being incredibly consistent and not changing the course because of, you know, the emotions that you have from watching your child struggle or being exhausted or whatever it is, they usually can do it, but you want to be super consistent and clear. This is the rule. The analogy that I often use is car seats because you don't bend the rules for car seats. Everybody puts their kids in a car seat. Your three-year-old has to be in a car seat or you're not going to go wherever you're not going to drive anywhere. And so even if they're unhappy, you still insist on it and you don't question yourself. And it's the same thing with sleep. Don't question yourself, even if your child is protesting, because they're, of course, they're protesting. It's, it makes sense that they are. It's not as fun as being with you. Nighttime is really hard. You can also give them a brave box, which is just stuff that they can look at in their room that's not with you and that's not making noise that can be next to the bed or on the bed. It can be a t-shirt of yours, can be a couple of pictures, 
a little soft book, soothing things that are not going to engage them too much, but can give them some comfort, a soft blankie, any of those things. And then you can say, if you are having trouble, you can always open your brave box and you don't have to call it a brave box. If that's too loaded for you, you can say it's a sleep box or whatever you want. And the last thing that I just want to address is sometimes you have to look at what time bedtime is. If kids are waking up at 1030 after they've gone to sleep, sometimes you just need to shift bedtime a little bit earlier because they went to bed a little late and it disrupts their sleep overall. And so you just shift the whole routine and schedule earlier with three-year-olds. They really don't have a sense of what time it is. So if you're doing the same routines over and over and you just shift them to an hour earlier, a half hour earlier, it should be totally fine. This stuff is really hard, this sleep transition. And so I just want to keep reiterating that you're sticking to your decision to set the limits of what you expect at bedtime does not make you a mean parent. It does not hurt your kids. In fact, it helps them thrive because they understand what's expected of them and they understand that you know what's healthy for them and you are going to do everything you can to make sure that they get that healthy sleep, even if they don't like it and that you're okay with that. Just like they might not wanna have their broccoli and they might not wanna put their seatbelts on you're not going to bend on things that are related to their long-term health. Many of you may have been avoiding going to the doctor during the pandemic or skipping physicals, dental cleanings, eye doctors, the stuff that you kind of feel like you should do, but you don't absolutely have to do. But it's been going on too long. People are missing really important appointments and now that everything's opening up, it's time to make sure that we prioritize our regular healthcare. Just download the free ZocDoc app, the easiest way to find a great doctor and instantly book an appointment. With ZocDoc, you can search for local doctors who take your insurance, read verified patient reviews, and book appointments in person or video chat. Never wait on hold with a receptionist again. Whether you need a primary care physician, a dentist, dermatologist, psychiatrist, eye doctor, or other specialist, ZocDoc has you covered. Go to ZocDoc.com humans and download the ZocDoc app to sign up for free. Every month, millions of people use ZocDoc. I'm one of them. ZocDoc makes healthcare easy. Now is the time to prioritize your health. Go to ZocDoc.com slash humans and download the ZocDoc app to sign up for free and book a top-rated doctor. Many will be available as soon as today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C.com slash humans. This episode is sponsored in part by Artifact Uprising. Artifact Uprising makes premium photo books, framed photos, and gifts to help you tell stories that you care about most. And Artifact Uprising just launched their new product, the Story of You Early Years book, to help you document your child's best moments from one to five. It contains unique interactive elements and guided prompts that make working on this book a fun activity that you and your child can do together. A high-quality book that has thick, writing-friendly pages made from eco-conscious paper and a foil stamp linen cover that comes in seven colors. 
Also, it comes with a free set of photo prints for you to add to the book. The Early Years book makes a great gift for new moms as they experience their babies growing into little people with their own distinct personalities. The book is divided into chapters, one for each of years one through five. Each chapter contains a set of prompts, exercises that you can fill out, add your favorite artwork to, and pictures, along with blank pages for you to customize as you like. And as your children get older, they're going to have so much fun filling it out with you too. There are pages where you can trace your little one's hands. You can write a letter to you that you write each year as a parent to your child, and your child can even write a letter to themselves that they can read later. Now, of course, that letter will be written by you, but they'll dictate the letter so that they can have their words and have some really cool things to look back on. For a limited time, our listeners can get 15% off your Artifact Uprising order with the code RaisingGoodHumans15. Go to artifactuprising.com slash RaisingGoodHumans to purchase. Uprising's mission is to free us all from a fundamentally broken food system that is robbing us of our health. They've cracked the code on healthy bread. You simply can't find something this healthy that tastes this good and that's this fresh. It only has two net carbs per serving, six grams of protein and nine grams of fiber. They cover paleo, clean keto, simple low carb, high fiber, dairy-free, grain-free lifestyles. Uprising has made prebiotic fiber delicious with their patent pending breakthrough in psyllium husk activation, making fantastic digestive health really easy for all of us. All Uprising products are baked with real superfood ingredients, almond, MCT oil, apple cider vinegar, egg white, psyllium husk, and olive oil. It all comes down to taste though, and healthy foods are almost littered with broken promises. But Uprising has nailed the taste factor on both their sourdough-esque cubes and the crunch factor on their newly launched Freedom Chips, which taste like old school chips that you dig for. Go to uprisingfood.com and use the code HUMANS to get $10 off the starter bundle. It's kind of like a mini trip to the grocery store, minus all the unhealthy distractions. And they ship directly to your door. That's uprisingfood.com. Use my code HUMANS to get $10 off your first order. So the next sleep question says, My two-year-old sleeps on a mattress in our room every night. I'm afraid to start walking her back to the room in her room because she shares it with her siblings and will scream for hours sometimes. What do I do? So this is a very similar question to the first question. And the answer is going to be fairly similar with a little bit of an adjustment. So if your two-year-old sleeps on a mattress in your room every night and you don't have a problem with that, The first thing I want to say is where your child sleeps does not matter. It's that they're getting consolidated sleep. There's nothing wrong with kids sharing a room with their parents or their siblings if that works for your family. But if what I'm hearing is you don't want your two-year-old to sleep in the room with you, then that's another story. And I can make some suggestions to adjust that. So the first thing to know is it is much easier to get yourself out of a child's room than vice versa. So what you might start to do is put the mattress in your children's room so that the three kids are together, but you sit on a chair in the hallway or you sit on a chair in the room and you just wait 
for them to get quiet and feel comfortable and snuggle and go to sleep. And then every few days you work your way further out of the room so that you can build up to being in the hallway and then you can build up to being in your own bedroom. That's probably going to be more effective than walking your little one from your bedroom into their bedroom after they've fallen asleep or after they're relaxed. You really want to start in the location that you want them to end in and work your way out of that location. That's always going to be easier, which is the same reason why for those of you who do have little visitors in the middle of the night, you are better off if you don't want them to be in their room versus letting them come to your room and then working your way back to their room. But once you're in the situation, that's how I would course correct. So the last question is, my child is constantly interrupting me. I give him so much attention, but when I'm trying to hang out with friends or do anything else, he's tugging at me or talking to me and gets really upset when I don't respond. So if you have kids, if you have young kids, old kids, any kids, but certainly younger kids, interruptions are such a normal part of development because Young children are naturally egocentric and they don't have the social skills to have turn-taking in their conversations. And really, even if you have teenagers, it's very challenging to get a young person, particularly with their parents, to have the skill of listening and catching social cues and all of the things that you need in order to not interrupt at the wrong time. When you combine that with having a hard time waiting because that's a skill that takes many, many years to develop and feeling like everything that you have to say is going to be really important in that moment, or you might forget and you want your parents' attention and you want their approval and you might be stalling and having delay tactics because, you know, you don't want to go to bed or whatever it is. Learning how to be respectful while interrupting or just waiting your turn to speak is a real skill. So if you view interruptions through the lens of understanding what's going on with your child, we can be much more open to guiding our kids instead of just getting frustrated with them. And when we're patient, in no great shock, our kids are more able to be patient. The other thing I want to just stress is you don't need to be afraid to make your kids wait because you feel like they won't feel seen or heard. So teaching a kid how to interrupt starts with giving them the correct language. So you can tell your child how they can interrupt. They can say, excuse me, or pardon me, may I ask a question? Depending on what their language capacity is. But certainly, excuse me, pardon me, is something that they can check in with you about. And you can define for them what is worth interrupting you for. So for example, you might say if someone's hurt or it's urgent or it's an emergency or something's going to be ruined or you have to go to the bathroom, then please interrupt. Just say, excuse me or pardon me. But if it's something that is worth waiting for, then you tell your child about the things that they can do while they wait. So you can have a signal that you give them. You might, you know, some people just naturally stick their finger up 
like they're pointing or making a one and that's like a universal sign for weight, but that's sometimes a little bit more embarrassing and awkward. So you might ask them to help you pick a silly sign. That means I'm going to keep my conversation going. You're not interrupting. You're going to wait. It could be a tug of the ear. It could be wiggling your fingers behind your back. It's something that you come up with before and that gives them an opportunity to practice because you'll practice it together when they can't interrupt. You can even practice it when you're pretend playing. You want to be a good role model because, of course, if you just interrupt and you don't say excuse me or pardon me because you're, you know, it's hard to remember to do that in your home, then they're not going to have that. So you might say something like, pardon me, I'm sorry to have to interrupt this story. I really just want to check in about the doorbell or dinner time or whatever. So you're going to be a good role model. And when you notice that they're being patient, name it. Just say you noticed that they said, excuse me, or pardon me, and that they waited for you and how awesome that was. Children repeat behaviors that we give attention to. So if you want them to keep interrupting, make a big thing about interrupting. But if you want them to start to learn to have a little patience and choose wisely when they interrupt, that's when you label that. That means you don't want to reinforce the interrupting because if you always stop what you're doing and give them even a lecture or a response, then of course, strategically, they're going to keep interrupting because that's how they're going to get an answer. All of those things can make for a slow process that leads to kids who really can distinguish between when they should interrupt and how to do so politely and when they need to wait. Thank you for listening. Please continue to send in your questions on my Instagram DM at Raising Good Humans podcast. And if you have an extra moment, which I know nobody has, please don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already and write a review, especially on Apple podcasts. They really like reviews and a rating is always welcome. And I love hearing from you. Thanks so much.